Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. When I was 18 years old, I flew from Atlanta to London. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you would say that is a possibility? So some of you do not think it's possible to fly from Atlanta to London. But for most people, you would not really question that statement. I'm not asking you if you think it's true. I'm not saying, do you think that I actually did it? I'm saying, do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible for me to board an airplane and fly from Atlanta to London? And most of you in here have no problem with that realm of possibility. However, if I were to go back 2,000 years and tell a group of people that I have flown from Atlanta to London, it would blow their mind because they have no frame of reference. First, they would not know what Atlanta is. Next, they would not know what London is. And within their ability to think about flying, they would consider that only birds have the ability to fly and I don't have any wings. So they would say, it is impossible that you flew from Atlanta to London. However, if I were to sit them down and show them a map of the world and say, this is where Atlanta is, this is where London is in reference to where you currently are, And then I could take them and show them an airplane and I could give them a demonstration of how an airplane flies and its ability to travel long distances. Then I could create some expectation within them that it is possible for someone to make a long journey by flying. I want you to understand the importance of a frame of reference. If you do not have a frame of reference for something, it will be very difficult for you to understand it or grasp it. However, once you have seen it done or you have experienced it or you know someone who has experienced it, you can see it as a possibility. That is why the Bible is such a valuable resource to us as believers. It gives us a frame of reference for what is possible with God. It shows me what I can expect. It it gives me something to attach my faith to until I can pull what is in the unseen into my reality. And once I have experienced it, then I can become a frame of reference for someone else. Isn't that awesome? Now through how I live and what I have experienced, I can not just tell someone about the goodness of God, but they can actually see it in my life. I don't have to tell someone that a marriage can be blessed by God if they can see that my marriage is blessed by God. I don't have to tell people that God has the ability to bless you financially if I can show them how God has blessed me financially, how he has taken me from point A to where I am now, and I can show them that it had nothing to do with me, had nothing to do with my wisdom, had nothing to do with my education. It was simply the fact that I tapped into the favor and the blessing of God. Are you following what I'm saying? I become a witness and my testimony becomes a frame of reference for someone else to experience what I've experienced. 
If they can see the transformation in my life, then maybe they can start believing it's possible that God can do that for me. If someone who has been addicted to a substance can see someone who has been set free from a substance, then they start thinking maybe it's possible that that can happen for me too. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to the things of God, I don't just want to talk about them. I want to experience them. I mean, the way I look at it is if Joshua could see God move in his generation, then why can't we see God move in our generation? If the early church can see miracles happen on the regular, then why can't it be commonplace for us today to see miracles happen? If the disciples could go in and change whole cities, then why can't we start with changing the city we currently are in? That's just the way I think. I actually believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't think he's changed his mind on helping people and loving people. I don't think at one time he would take someone like a Saul who was a murderer and say, you know what, I'm going to use you, but now, now you've got too much of a past for me to use you. I just don't think God works that way. So if I can see, man, God takes someone like Saul, transforms his life, uses him to make an impact in his generation, then why can't that happen for me? And I start wrapping my faith around that. I start getting a little expectation, a little bit of hope that things can be better, things can be different, things can turn around. Just because it looks this way right now doesn't mean it's going to look this way forever because I serve a God who turns things around. I've seen him do it all through scripture. I've got a frame of reference. I was fortunate enough to, be grow, to grow up in a home and, a, and with a family that miracles were commonplace. I mean, I remember one time my, my brother, when he was a teenager, he had a planter's wart on the side of his foot. It was fairly large. It was uncomfortable. He got tired of it. He went to my grandfather. My grandfather prayed for him. That thing dried up and fell off his foot that night. That's common to me. Like, I don't, I don't find it weird, Bobby, when, when someone talks about the goodness of God and how God still touches people. I don't find it weird because I have a frame of reference. I have seen it. Jim, you were with us in Biloxi, Mississippi, when that little boy who he had either never walked or had a difficulty walking, I don't know his story, came, never walked before, God touched him, he jumped off the stage and ran to his father. Seen it happen. I've got a frame of reference. I remember when I was a little boy, I was sitting in, it was Wednesday night, I was sitting in the children's church classroom upstairs and we heard sirens. Looked out the window and the flashing lights were going off. I'm thinking like, what in the world is going on? Well, after service, we found out that someone during the service died in the middle of the sermon. That's some boring preaching right there. <laughs> you want to know why I'm animated? Because I don't want you to die. <laughs> but this guy, he, he checked out. My dad said, no one's going to die during my service. He started climbing the pews back to that man, prayed for him. The man came back to life. When the paramedics got there and checked him out, they said, this man has had a massive heart attack. 
They put him in the ambulance, took him to the hospital. By the time he got to the hospital, they said there is no sign of a heart attack at all. This man is okay. I've got a frame of reference. I've seen it happen. And I want to see it happen again. I've seen lives transformed. And I want to see it happen again. And I want us to be a demonstration to the world of the goodness of God. I want Activation Church to become the frame of reference to the world around us of what it looks like to serve a God who actually does rule and reign in the affairs of men and women. And I believe that can happen for us. I believe that we can set the standard of what church should look like. And I actually believe that's what we're called to do as a church globally. We're not... Jesus didn't die on a cross and establish a church for us to become an organization. He died on the cross so that we could be a demonstration, so that we could look like him on earth, so that we could sound like him on earth, so that we could do the same works he did then right now on earth. That's why he has imparted the Holy Spirit to us, so that we can do the same things, and he says, even greater meaning at a greater impact, meaning we can actually reach further than Jesus could then because we've got the medium of technology now. Think about that. Those things can happen. But why isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? Like why? If it's, if it's available, then why isn't it happening on the regular? Is it possible that the church has become more about self-improvement than transformation? Just a thought. Take time to listen to some different sermons. Is it more about you becoming the best you? Or is it about you finding Jesus and allowing him to transform you? Now listen, I'm all about improving. I'm all about things getting better, and I believe that God wants to make things better in your life. But improvement starts for transformation, not self-help. Are you following what I'm saying? Is it possible that within the church of Jesus Christ, we have removed his presence and replaced it with stage presence? I know how to talk. I know how to stand. I know how to speak. I know how to play an instrument. I know how to dress to catch your attention. I know how to do certain things that give you a chill bump, and you leave and you go, oh, I experienced God, but there's no transformation. Because my stage presence can give you enjoyment, but it can never change your life. But when the Holy Spirit steps into a room, and the presence of God fills a room, that's when things begin to shift. That's when things begin to change. You want to see a turnaround in your life? Start tapping into the Holy Spirit who has the ability to turn it around. I mean, it's just a thought. Is it possible that we have attached ourselves to religion and not a Savior? Is it possible that we have attached ourselves to tradition instead of transformation? Is it possible that we think that by what we do and how we speak and how we dress is our righteousness versus the fact that his blood has made us righteous right now? I'm not becoming righteous. I am right now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Just a thought. Have you ever thought about it? I listened to a speaker this week. He's got a large what he would call church. And he's going through and he's 
discounting the entire Old Testament, saying you don't need it. The only thing you need to know is that Jesus died and rose again. Based upon what? The scriptures that you just discounted? See, what we're doing is we're wanting to fill buildings. We're wanting to become popular. We're wanting people to come in and enjoy it. We're wanting to make this thing as easy as possible, as comfortable as possible, so that you don't have to do anything. You don't have to put any effort. You don't have to actually change anything. Nothing has to change in your life, and you're okay. The, the problem is we can fill a building full of people that will spend eternity in hell because they never received the truth. Can I just pastor for a moment? Because that's not who I want to be. I understand that one day I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ and I'm going to give an account for the things that I tell you. So I can't just give you a bunch of cute fluff that isn't practical, that can't do anything with your life. I've got to tell you that Jesus has the power to transform you, to heal you, to save you, to pull you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And once you are there, he has the ability to fill you with his spirit so that you become a light to the world and you become a frame of reference to the people you come into contact with so that now they see if God can change them, he can change me. Have you ever seen that before? Like... Somebody who was just like, they were a train wreck, man. But then they meet Jesus and like everything changes. They don't, they don't talk the same. They don't want to be in the same, like something's different about them. That's what transformation looks like. That's what I want to see. That's what I'm after, man. I'm after God transforming each and every one of us, continually taking us from level to level, glory to glory, understanding to understanding. I don't ever want to get stuck in a place. I don't ever want to get comfortable with things the way they are. I want to experience the glory of God in an authentic way. I'm not talking about a show because I've seen that too. I grew up in charismatic churches and I've seen people call something a move of God that was nothing more than a show. It wasn't God touching them. It was them doing what they thought it looked like to be touched by God. And I've got news for you. Being touched by God has no particular look to it. <laughs> I remember one night <laughs> my dad prayed for this person that was eaten up with cancer. He took his jacket off and he placed it on them. He prayed for them. And he said, how do you feel? And they said, I don't feel nothing. He said, go to the doctor. Person goes to the doctor, cancer-free. Because it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Listen, I'm all for, I'm all for the power of God hitting a place and things happen. I'm all for that. I'm not against it. But we cannot say that is a move of God. Because somebody's heart right now that is melting under the power of God, that is being softened by the word of God, is just as much a move of God as someone running down the aisle and falling down on the floor. And I'm not, I'm okay with all of it. But I'm not going to label something just because it looks a certain way to me. So today I want to, for the next few moments, with that thinking about frame of reference, I want to start walking through a story in 2 Kings about a man named Naaman who was a leper. And I want to pull four things from this story that will help change the direction of our life 
in our church if we will begin to individually incorporate these things into our life. Are you ready? Let's do this. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Tell me you're there when you're there. It's an old preaching trick to take a sip of water, FYI. Pastor don't care whether you're there or not. He's going on without you if he ain't thirsty. <laughs> I hope you guys know how much I love you. I hope you really do. This is the highlight of my life, being a part of Activation Church. And this is the greatest blessing of my life to be involved with you and your families and to see God moving in your life. That, that's what gives me joy. The second Kings chapter five, verse one, the Bible says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man. Somebody say he was great. He was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. That's a skin-eating disease. Not only would leprosy destroy your physical body, but it would destroy your social status. You could go from being what people would consider a prominent man, a great man, a man of valor to someone we don't want to have anything to do with. It can completely change his life if people know what's going on with him. He's a leper, the Bible says. Verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord, talking about her master, were, in, were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter up, uh, to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy, only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me, and stand and call upon the name of his Lord, the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and, and cure the leper. We all want the, the magical diet pill that if we just take this one pill, we'll lose all the weight. We want what's been going on in our life for 30 years to just magically disappear with no effort. 
no time. That's, that's Naaman. I thought this guy would just come out and wave his magical wand and I would be cured, but he didn't. Verse 12, he says, Are not Arbana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in his rage. Verse 13, But his servant came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The first thing I see in that story for transformation to happen, for us to become a frame of reference for the people around us is we have to be connected to the Word of God. The girl who is serving Naaman says, I wish that you could be in the presence of Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, who in the Old Testament would represent the Word of God on behalf of God to the people. I wish that you could be in the presence of the Word because the Word has the ability to give you what you need. Now we do not need a prophet. We do not have to have someone give us the Word of God because God himself has given us his Word in a book that we call the Bible. The Bible being the word of God, has the ability to begin to shift and change and chip away at things that do not need to be a part of your life anymore. It has the ability to start the transformation process by, the Bible would say, the renewing of your mind. See, the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Renewed. Transformed. Yes. Thank you. I was checking to see if you were paying attention. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The problem is we are born into a world that has a pattern we follow by nature apart from the Spirit of God. So once we come into Christ and we start going, oh, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I actually believe that he died on the cross and rose from, for me. I'm transformed and brought into a new kingdom, but there is still more that God wants to do. And part of that process is breaking the pattern that you've been a part of for your entire life. And the only way for that to happen is to be renewed in your mind. How does that happen? By the Word of God, through the power of God, and the Spirit of God working in your life. His Word becomes a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your what? Mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. That means chew on it. Chew on it. See, you know, the, the world, when they talk about meditation, it's all about clearing your mind. Christian meditation is not about clearing your mind. It's about filling your mind with what matters. So he says you need to make sure that you're speaking the word. You need to be meditating on the word, filling yourself with the word. Why? So that you will be careful to do everything that's written in it. The word of God without obedience will mean nothing to you. Did you hear what I just said? Many of us will quote verses that have no power in our life because we have not been obedient to the principle found there. 
And I don't care how many times you quote it or if you've memorized it or if you've tattooed it on your forearm. It will do nothing for you until you are obedient to it. But he says if you'll speak it, if you'll meditate on it, and you'll be careful to do all that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous. Catch that. You have the ability to make your way prosperous by speaking the word, thinking on the word, and being obedient to the word. Then it says, then you will find good success. Somebody say it starts with the word. I have to be connected to the word of God. The reason there is such an assault on the word of God and the enemy fights for our minds and for our children through the school system to discount the word of God is because he understands the power of the word. When, he is tempt, when the enemy is tempting Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus responds with the word. FYI, Old Testament scripture. The ones that pastor wants to say we need to get rid of. Do you realize that the apostles of the New Testament church didn't have the New Testament Bible? They had the Old Testament scriptures. But what happened was when the Spirit of God filled their life, they started seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. They started going, oh, it's always been about him. He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. Oh, man, I can see it now with Abraham's taking Isaac up the mountain and he's going to sacrifice his son. Now I see that it is Jesus carrying the cross he's going to die on to give his life. God giving his only son. Oh, Joseph, you want to talk about Joseph, the pit, the prison, the palace? That's Jesus going before you to save you from the destruction that's coming. See, God sent Joseph there ahead of time to save the people because of the famine. It's Jesus. It's a picture of who Jesus is and what he would accomplish. The Old Testament is not separate from the New Testament. It is one story building to the man, Jesus Christ, who has the ability to transform our life. So, I have to have the word. If you want to know where I stand as a pastor, if you've ever been thinking, like, I wonder where he stands on Scripture, I believe that it's God-breathed. And I still believe that if I will meditate on it, if I will speak it, and I will be obedient to it, then I will see the fruit of it. I believe that with all my heart, and I've seen it, and I've experienced it. Many of us do not see the benefit of God's Word because we're not obedient to what it says. We want to live life our own way. We want to dip in our own river. Go dip in the Jordan. Nah, nah, nah. I'll dip, but not in the Jordan. You can do the right thing in the wrong place and miss God. That's a word for somebody. Right thing, wrong place, miss God. Right thing, wrong time, miss God. That wasn't even part of my notes. But you can tattoo that on your forearm, take it to the bank, cash it. Here's, here's the second thing. Bobby, if I get out of line, man, just come stop me. Number two, don't hide what God can heal. Whew, that's a good one. Don't hide what God can heal. There are two things that we know about Naaman. One, he's a great man. He's a mighty man of valor. Naaman's the guy that when you see on the streets, you go, man, he's a somebody. He carries himself 
like a somebody. He's a hero. Like the kids in the town, they're looking at Naaman. They're like, man, one day I want to grow up and be like Naaman. That's one thing we know about Naaman. He was a great man, a mighty man, a man of valor, a champion for the Syrian army. The second thing that we know about Naaman that probably no one else knew about Naaman is that he was a leper because he was able to conceal it for a time. See, he could have this issue with his skin that could be covered up with his armor. So that when you see Naaman, all you see is, is his greatness. You don't see what plagues him. Until one night, the servant girl's meandering through the house, and she either sees or overhears a conversation between Naaman and his wife talking about the leprosy, and she comes and says, oh, if he could just get to Elisha, there's healing that could take place. When this news reaches Naaman, he's got to make a decision. Do I continue to conceal my issue, or do I go and tell somebody about it? See, he had to out himself to his master in order to be released to go find Elisha. Get this. He could not be cured, he could not be healed until he was willing to expose what plagued him. Many times in our life we have issues, we have burdens, we have things that we carry and we've carried them for years and what we want to do is conceal them. I'll make my life look nice. I'll wear the right clothes. I'll get the right relationship. I'll drive the right car. I'll, I'll, I'll get the right job. And when everybody sees me, they'll see what's great about me, and they'll never see what's broken about me. And that's fine as long as you're willing to live with the issue that is eventually going to eat you alive. But if you want healing, when it comes to healing, for the brokenness in your life, that can only happen when you allow God to expose that. When I come to God and I get raw with him in prayer, and I say, God, I'm no longer going to hide from this issue. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist. This is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I'm wrestling with, and I need your help. And I come confidently and boldly into the throne room of God, which is my right because of the blood of Jesus. And he says, in that place, I can find grace and mercy and help in my time of need. But if I'm never willing to come to the physician for healing, I'll never receive healing. I can try to deal with it on my own. I can try to read all the books and do all the right things, but that doesn't have the ability to fix me. All it does is have the ability to put more armor on the issue. So Naaman gets raw, confesses what's going on, let me tell you something. There is power when you come to Jesus and begin to confess what is going on in your life. When you begin to confess the sin in your life. You don't have to go to anyone else. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to me. All you got to do is go to Jesus and you start getting honest with him and saying, this is my struggle. This is what I'm dealing with. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to help you and bring healing to you. Watch what Acts, the third chapter, says. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, 
Repent, therefore, and turn back. I'm going to change directions. Doesn't mean I'm always going to get it right. Listen, I've lived long enough to know that I have seen the right direction to go in. I've prayed about it. I've started heading in the right direction, but my flesh still turns me around sometimes, and I go, right? And I have to go, you know what? I'm turning back. It's a daily process. Turning back is a daily process. I've, that's why it's so important to be washed with the word, to be filled with the spirit. The Bible would talk about putting on the armor of God. That's daily because the attack is daily. The enemy is going to come at you daily and you've got to be ready when he comes. Last night, my wife and I, we were watching these like true crime things about uh, crimes that happen and people that survived. And we were seeing like these, these robberies that were taking place. And the person wasn't ready for them when they came. And, and I'd like to think that if somebody came into my house, I'd have something for them. I'd be ready. It's, it's, it's pointless to carry an unloaded gun. Jim, <laughs> may I share your story? You were at a gas station, right? Man pulls a gun on Jim. Jim pulls a gun on the man. <laughs> they got the Wild West showdown. Thank God Jim intimidated the man to where the man left because Jim's gun wasn't loaded. What point is there in carrying an unloaded gun? We don't have time when the enemy comes to go, hey, bud, hold on one second. Let me load this thing. How does this work again? <laughs> we don't have time. That's a silly story. But how many of us, that's how we act in life? The enemy's coming at us daily. And once he arrives, then we scramble trying to find something and someone and a scripture and a prayer. And instead of being prayed up and ready, so when the enemy comes, I can say, turn around and go back to where you came from. I felt God on that. We've got that power because of the blood of Jesus to say, get the hell out of my life. This doesn't belong to me. This doesn't belong to my family. I'm not receiving it. I'm not accepting it. Take it back. That's the authority that we have. But we don't know that if we don't have the word of God inside of us. We think that, you know, he's, he's a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. And if he gets me, he's going to sink his teeth into me. It's not what the Bible says. It says he goes around like a roaring lion. He's making a lot of noise. But the only thing he can do to you is cause fear and worry. And through your fear and worry, you accept what he's trying to put on you. Why? Because fear is faith in the wrong direction. That's a million-dollar statement, isn't it? Fear is faith in the wrong direction. If he can get you to fear something, he can get you to receive it. What does Job say? The thing that I feared the most has come upon me. 
We've got to be ready. Somebody say, I've got to be ready. So let's go back to Acts 3. Repent, therefore, and turn back. That your sins may be blotted out. So let's pause there. Jesus has no problem blotting out your sins. The Bible says he separates them as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. Isn't that awesome? See, sometimes I rehearse my past, and I want to talk to God about my past, and God's like, I don't remember that. And I go, oh, yeah, I've already asked forgiveness for that. Blot it out as if it never happened. That's what Jesus does. He cleanses us. He makes us the righteousness of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. And so all we've got to do is repent, get honest with God, and say, God, this is what I'm dealing with. Turn back, and he says, I'll blot out your sins. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what I want. I want times of refreshing. I want our church services to be times of refreshing. If you've come in burdened from the week, let's find some refreshment in the presence of God. But that starts by getting honest and saying, I don't have it all together, God. (laughs) I'm here because I'm not the Savior. If I was the Savior, I wouldn't need church. But I need a body of believers. I need a Savior. I need a Holy Spirit because I can't do it on my own. And thank God I don't have to. That's the good news. Third thing is this. Push out your pride. Somebody do that. Push it out. Push out your pride. Naaman almost missed his miracle because of pride. Think about that. He shows up to Elisha's house. Elisha doesn't come out to greet him. Name is like, who does he think he is? He must, he, he must not have heard the stories about me. And he, he doesn't understand my position. He doesn't understand that I've got power. He doesn't understand that the king of Syria himself has sent me here. He doesn't know who I am. Who does he think he is that he's not going to come out? Knowing that, he's going to go tell me to dip in the Jordan River, a, pl- a filthy, dirty river. Why can't, why can't I go to this river or that river? It's, it's a lot cleaner. Pride. 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 And let me tell you something. Pride was a bigger issue for Naaman than leprosy ever was. Because you can experience the favor of God with leprosy but you can never experience the favor of God with pride. You can experience forgiveness with a sickness, but you can't experience forgiveness with that pride in your life. Too proud to pray. Too proud to praise. You know, we talk about how praise brings us into victory. Our praise goes before us. I mean, it's all through the scripture. Before the armies went in, they sent the worship team. That was their strategy. We're going to war. Come on, Randy, you go first. (laughs) Give it all away, away. Can you imagine the other army? They're like, with their swords, they're like. Give it all to go your way, you know. But then something happens. God shows up. Many times fights the battle for them. But we're too proud to raise our hands. And to praise because what is, what is so-and-so going to think? What if they get me on the camera? Who cares? That's pride. If you want to stay there, stay there. But pride will lead to your destruction. No doubt about it. Too proud to admit that I need Jesus. 
Some of you in here, you're too proud to admit that you need Jesus. And it's keeping you from the blessing of God in your life. Our pride is paving a path to our downfall. I've got to get to a place where I'm humble. And I know, like, I need healing. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get healed. I'll go to the Chattahoochee River if God says that's where he'll meet me. I'll drink the Chattahoochee water if God says. If you, <laughs> if you tell me, no. But if God says it, I'll do it. Which brings us to the final point. I've got to be willing to dip and keep on dipping. Whatever it is that God says is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to make sense of it and figure out, well, couldn't I do it here or couldn't I do it there? If God says this is the place, that's how it's going to happen, which brings us back to obedience. It's not about you. Many times God will take us through a process because he's chipping away at something greater than the leprosy. For Naaman, it was pride. I really think this entire setup is God chipping away at his pride before he heals his leprosy. Elisha, don't go out and meet him. Go tell him to dip seven times in a river he doesn't want to dip in. See what he does with it. Love your enemy. See what they do with it. Forgive those who have done you wrong. Let's see what they do with it. Are we we touching anybody yet? Bless those that use you. Are we there yet? Are, Are we seeing how maybe we've blocked some things up in our life? Well, I don't want to do that. Give and it shall be given. Good measure, President. I don't want to do that. Okay, you don't have to. But understand that you're getting in the way of what God's trying to do. The Bible talks about not leaning to your own understanding. I don't have to know how it works or why it works. All I got to do is just do it. And that's how I, I, I really, I don't do it all. I don't get it right all the time, but I really want to be the type of person that if I feel like God is saying, Aram, do this, I want to be the type of person that does it with everything that I got. It doesn't make sense, but I'll dip. And then I'll come up, and nothing's changed. Oh, yeah, he said seven times. I'm going to dip, come back up. Nothing's changed. You know, it would be great, like, if we could just see, like, a, just a little bit of change, like, after the first dip that will excite me for the next dip. It's like if I could go to the gym today and leave with just one ab. (laughs) Like, I don't need all six of them. Just one would fire me up for the rest of the year. You know? But sometimes we dip. still the same. I've loved someone who has treated me wrong. They're still treating me wrong. I've asked for forgiveness. I, I've, I've gotten into the, the, the place where I've admitted that I was wrong in the situation and I've said, please forgive me, and yet they're still not forgiving me. No change. But I've got to keep on dipping. How many times? For Naaman, it was seven. For you, I don't know. What if... It was dipping for a month. 
What if it was dipping for a year? What if it's dipping for 20, 30 years? Because through the process of dipping, God is chipping away what really needs to be chipped away in your life that maybe you're not even aware of. Maybe he's bringing you to a place where you can release the bitterness for good. See, so many times we just look at the surface issue and we think that's the issue, but deep down there's a root and God knows, I want to get in there and deal with the root because if I can deal with the root, then everything else that's coming from this thing can be healed. But there's a process to dipping and keep on dipping. And so Naaman, he dips, he gets up, he looks, and he's dripping. Nothing. He dips, he gets back up, he's dripping. Nothing. But he keeps on dipping, he keeps on dripping, and finally, there comes a time where he comes out of the water and his flesh is completely restored. The Bible says in Galatians the sixth chapter, verse nine, says, do not get weary in well-doing. What's that mean? Keep on dipping. If I know it's the right thing to do, I'm gonna keep on dipping. I'm gonna keep on showing up. I'm gonna keep on praying. I'm going to keep on serving. Whatever it is I know it to do, whatever I feel like God has asked me to do, I'm going to keep on dipping. Do not get weary in well-doing. For in due season. Man, I love that part. There is a season coming that if I will not get weary, if I will not get tired, if I will not back off, if I will keep on dipping then the season's coming, and it's going to start to break through. Let me tell you something. Activation Church, for me, has been a dipping process. Can I just be honest with you? It's been a dipping process. Because I've come from things, I've seen things, I've seen God do things, and I thought, man, when we start this church, it's just going to, boom, it's going to explode, and all this stuff's going to happen, and it didn't. I thought we were going to be filled with all kinds of people that thought like me and worshiped like me and prayed like me, and, and it didn't. And now I'm glad it didn't. Because through this process, God has been growing a people. He's been transforming a people. He's been bringing people together from all different kinds of backgrounds, all together this place. And he's building us to this place where a due season is coming. And things are going to break open. And we're going to begin to see what we've never seen before. The things that we've been praying for, the things that we've been expecting are going to start to happen and become commonplace because there were some people here that continued dipping. There's some people through the process, they got tired. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I, I love you. I love your vision. I know what's going to happen, but I need to go somewhere where it's happening now. That's heartbreaking as a pastor. But you know what? I kept on dipping. I kept on dipping. I kept on dipping. And some of you are here today because we kept on dipping and dripping. And we're going to keep on dipping and dripping until we see exactly what God says will happen.